According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to finish this chapter today if I have to keep you here till midnight. <clears throat> Actually, this is rough. It's Communion Sunday, so we always get cut short on Communion Sunday. We are dealing with uh, milk and meat and uh, the blessings here at the end of the chapter. Verse 12 says, By this time you ought to be teachers. Why have you not grown up? And that's a problem. Prolonged um, childhood is a problem. God has designed us to grow. And so willfully not growing is uh, rebellion. And God will discipline that. Because his plan is to call us to adult status as a mature man, to be the bride suitable for his son. And his son is worthy of a glorious bride. Not, uh, not a child bride, not, a, not an infant, not a, a loser in the Christian way of life. He wants the bride to be glorious for his son. And so the design for our growth is suited to that end. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day and the blessing we have to assemble together. I thank You for the cleansing procedure that we have, the simplicity of 1 John 1, 9. The simplicity, Father, of confessing our sins and you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how easy is that? And we can, in a a moment, Father, we can go from carnality to spirituality and and cleanse ourselves from these things and be useful. We can be useful before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, we don't want to assemble in carnality. We don't want to sing hymns in carnality. Or study the Bible. It's not even possible to study the Bible in carnality. We don't want to take communion, certainly, in an unworthy manner. Father, we want all things done today to be done in, under the filling of the Holy Spirit. We want to be in fellowship. We want to be glorifying your Son and pleasing to you. So we commit to you our time of teaching now. Open the eyes of our understanding and bless our study. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> all right. I don't think I can keep it to midnight. I don't think my voice will hold out that long, but we'll see. We are dealing with Melchizedek. And the author wants to go into some very deep realms with respect to Melchizedek, but his audience can't handle it. And so he talks about Melchizedek several times through the first five chapters. And then when he mentions it here in verse 10, how Jesus Christ has been designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, he then stops himself. And says, concerning whom, that would be Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And that warning about dull of hearing, that's a slippery slope. You're on the road to hardness of heart when you're on the, when you've already reached the step of dull of hearing. And so it's a step along the way, and uh, when you uh, find yourself in that circumstance, Repent, get back into a a hunger mode and and be quick to hear and slow to speak and be eager for the pure milk of the Word of God. 
Some, uh, some interesting things here about that we statement, which I think is remarkable. 5.11 is the first of several we statements in Hebrews, and it just kind of jumps out at you. And uh, particularly, we gets exciting if you think that Luke might be the author of, uh, of Hebrews, because Luke is the subject of several we statements in uh, the book of Acts, for example. They get a lot of attention in the we passages of, uh, of the book of Acts. Most of the we passages, the us and we statements, the first person plural statements in in, uh, Hebrews are typically the author including himself, but including his readers. And so a lot of them are exhortative. A lot of them are urging, uh, you know, calls to action and things of of godliness and so forth. But there are a small select number of them, including here in 511, including uh, about three or four in chapter six where the we is clearly different from the you of the audience. And so the we have much to say. That is, Luke, or whoever the author is, and his team, his associates, that there is more than one. We have a hint as to some form of plurality in authorship. Even though the authorship is strictly speaking anonymous, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, and there's all the debates but if you settle on one lead character, whether it was Paul or Barnabas or Apollos or Luke or whoever you settle on, whoever you settle on as a lead suspect uh, in your investigation, you've got a suspect, um, don't stop with just one because he speaks of we, okay? He has a mouse in his pocket or something. He, there's a we involved in the writing of Hebrews. And again, in chapter 6, um, let us press on. And that one I'm not so sold on. I think that one doesn't address the authors as much as he's urging his audience to follow. But in verse 3, he said, when he talks about where he wants to go next in the teaching, he says, this we will do if God permits. Do you see that in 6.3? This we will do if God permits. And so uh, I think clearly that's another hint as to the authorship. Likewise, verse 9 uh, contrasts the we with the you. Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. So the author of Hebrews plus his team, his uh, compatriots, whoever is with him, is uh, writing to these Levitical priests, wherever they might be, and uh, we don't even know the, their location. Um, but clearly there's we versus you in verse 9, and also verse 11. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So those are just a handful of the, of the we statements, 511, 6.3, 6.9, 6.11. I don't really buy the 6.1 statement, but some include that. Um, that hint at a plurality of authorship in some form or, uh, or fashion, however that may be. Um, on to verse 12, by this time you must be teachers, and we dealt with that last week, uh, that if you prolong your folly, uh, woe be unto you. Proverbs addresses that. Proverbs 1, 22, how long, O simple ones, how long, O naive one, will you enjoy your simple-mindedness? You know, um, if you are simple-minded, there's nothing wrong with that. Just recognize that that's where you are in your growth and realize that that's not where God wants you to stay. All right? If you're a child, great. Everybody starts as a child. Don't stop as a child, okay? Grow up. 
And uh, we should have a spiritual drive to grow up, just like children have a spiritual drive or used to have a spiritual drive to grow up. And you can't wait till you're, you know, you're 16 so you can drive and 18 so you can vote or 21 so you can drink or, or whatever. You've got ages that you're waiting for that you can't wait till you reach that certain age. I wanted to be 25 so my car insurance would drop in half. That was, that was a big one. Okay, I got married and it cut in half, and I turned 25 and it cut in half again. So I was thankful for that. But we want to we grow up. And spiritually speaking, we want to grow up. And if, you know, if you're a 30-year-old and you're still breastfeeding, that's a problem. You've got to get past the breast milk. You've got you to get to solid food. You've got to be ready for solid food at a certain point. So intentionally prolonged folly is inexcusable, and it is disciplined. Also, Elementary principles should be built upon. If you don't build upon it, if you never get past the basics, you'll lose the basics. If you're content to only know the basics, you'll lose the basics. All right? If, uh, you know, to think about it, do you ever learn how to read if all you ever do is memorize the alphabet? You know, you learn the basics, you learn the alphabet, you learn the letters and the stoicheia or the elementary principles. It's like the letters. And if all you do is learn the letters, but you never learn the language, you never build upon it, you never read. And I think many Christians do that. They never get past the basics. And we'll talk about that in chapter 6, because the elementary teaching is spelled out there uh, about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again. And then he spells out what the basics are, what the foundation is, what some of the early teaching is uh, after you are saved, see. And that's that's... I think it's critical in understanding the warning that comes in chapter 6 also. So we'll talk about that. But if you don't build upon the basics, you end up reverting. You can do something in the spiritual life you can never do in physical life. You can never turn back the clock in physical life. All right? That you're always one year older than last year. That's always the way it works. And you never go back. You never have a a backwards birthday. My dad tried that. He turned 39, and then instead of turning 40, he turned 38, and then he turned 37, and then he kept tracking all the way back down in his retrograde. See, none of us believed it, but that's what he kept talking about anyway. Yet in the spiritual walk, we're going to see when he says you have need of milk again, you're actually, because you have regressed, you are returning to the breast milk and uh, we'll discuss that. You have need. You have come to need milk and not solid food in verse 12. And it's similar to 1 Corinthians 3. You're back on the milk again. You've got to nurse yourself back to spiritual health again. And it's going to take a, a refresher course in the basics to get you back stable in that again to where you can then rebuild upon the basics with, uh, with some more meat. So we'll talk about that. We've got that coming up. Everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And this is both 13 and 14. The slide should say both 13 and 14. We're going to cover both verses here with these points. The Christian way of life is a growth process from infancy to maturity with age-appropriate dietary needs. The Christian way of life is a growth process from infancy to maturity with age-appropriate dietary needs. And if you've been here for any length of time, this slide is not a newsflash. <laughs> right? This slide is a duh. You know, who, who doesn't know this? 
But if you're a visitor or if you're new, if you've never seen a church like this before, that a lot of times jaws drop and heads spin and they're like, wow, I never knew this existed. I didn't know there were churches that taught the Bible like this. And uh, wow, this is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. There's some real meat that can be gained here. And that's, that's the point. All right, there's milk, there's meat, and there's everything in between. So the Christian way of life is a growth process. And these verses here talk about it. He is an infant, all right? And so we have babes, we have uh, adolescents, we have uh, adults, we have mature, okay, which is the, the polite way of saying old, okay? There are degrees of maturity as well. All right. And uh, the neat thing about spiritual maturity is that unlike physical life, where it tends to be the, the more seasoned we become physically, the weaker and weaker we become, guess what? Spiritually speaking, the stronger and stronger we become because the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. And we can be thankful for that. Um, but here's chapter 6 and verse 1. We press on. Let us press on to maturity Press on to maturity. And this study is going to go well with our Philippians hour, uh, last hour, Wednesday and, and Wednesday nights as well, because we're talking about pressing on. We're talking about forgetting what lies behind. We're talking about reaching forward. Paul said, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but he says, I'm reaching forward. And that's the attitude we're all supposed to have. So what a joy that we get Philippians 3 at the same time that we get Hebrews 5 and 6. That uh, like the the Holy Spirit planned it like that or something when he charted out these these different book studies. All right, First Corinthians three verses one through three is maybe one of the easiest, and it also helps to illustrate the retrograde, the the uh, reversing that can happen because of carnality, prolonged carnality. Addresses this. First Corinthians three. Now, really. The, the final verses of chapter 2 kind of lead into this where we talk about the natural man, the unbeliever. If you're not saved, you're a natural man. All you've got is a soul. You don't have a living human spirit. And if all you are is body and soul with a dead human spirit, you can't learn the Word of God because you're just body and soul. That's called the natural man, the soulish man. But the spiritual man, he who is spiritual... That's a, that's a believer. That's a born-again believer. He has a body, he has a soul, and he has a living human spirit. It's that human spirit that's made alive at the moment of our salvation. And so the living human spirit can take in the Word of God. And so that's why when you look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, um, or let me even back up a little bit more. Um, verse 10, for to us God revealed through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual. And so it's like a spiritual transmitter and a spiritual receiver, right? It's like, uh, you know, you're trying to listen to an FM broadcast and all you've got is an AM radio, and you're just not going to get it. You're just not going to get it. And uh, when, when the Word of God goes forth, it's going across as, a, as an FM transmission, and you're still driving that old 63 Ford Falcon, and all it's got is the AM radio, okay? That's all it's got. So think about it, when you, when you become a believer 
and you have the living human spirit, now all of a sudden you've got the whole FM band available to you. You've got uh, that whole spectrum as God speaks to you through the, uh, through the spirit. And then uh, now that you are saved though, now there's another issue to concern yourself with and that's called carnality. Because when you go out of fellowship, sin will not cause you to lose your salvation, but sin will cause you to lose your spirituality. It will cause you to lose your fellowship. And so because of that, because uh, you still have an FM radio, but you've, uh, you've plugged up your ears, right? You, uh, you rip that antenna off and, and you're not listening anymore. And that's uh, the carnality problem here in chapter 3. So I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now there's a tandem there that I think is important. And so we've got the contrast between the, the unbeliever and the carnal. He doesn't call them unbelievers. He doesn't call them the natural man, but he calls them the carnal man. So when you're out of fellowship, you don't lose your salvation, but you are carnal. And since you are carnal, what happens? Can you listen to the Word of God like any unbeliever? All you can take in is the milk. All, all that you can take in is the milk. And some pastors say you can't even get that. But this passage says, well, you can at least get milk because in your carnality, you're reverting back to your infancy. And so it says, so here in verse 1 and verse 2, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, as to, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Even now you are not yet able. I tell you, you spend so much time in carnality, how much growth is, are you going to have? See, none. Worse than that. You're actually going to retrograde in, uh, back to an infancy status. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you're still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Okay? So if you're walking like an unbeliever, what does that tell you? Not that you're an unbeliever all over again, but you're walking like it. That you're walking like you have lost your salvation, which of course no one can. See, you can't do something like something if you already are something. Tell my daughter that she throws like a girl. Well, she says, Dad, I am a girl. Okay, well, good for you then. That's why you throw like a girl. Telling, uh, telling a believer that you're walking like an unbeliever is proof that they're still believers, that they're just carnal. It's proof that they can't lose their salvation, no matter how sinful they get or how long they spend it and, and all the rest. So age-appropriate dietary needs. And if, if you think back to when you used to have an appetite, back before you skipped church so much, back when you were really sinking your teeth into some solid meat, if it's been a while, if you're a little rusty, you're out of practice, then when you do come kind of back into the routine again, what are you going to have to start with? You're going to have to, yeah, build back up to that again and, and uh, start with the milk again and make sure you're solid on the basics. And you'll find, by the way, it goes faster. It goes faster the, the second time or the third time. Uh, it goes faster. You, you, you remember more than you thought you did. The Holy Spirit uh, still has that doctrine of residency and you can... You can build on it. How about Ephesians 3? Ephesians 3. You ever think of it in these terms? Chapter 3, chapter 4, here in Ephesians. Verse 
Paul says, that's a prayer, start, it starts in verse 14, but um, he says, this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is what happens when you grow. This is what happens when you take in good nutrition. When you eat you know, physical food, then it strengthens your physical body. When you take in the Word of God, it strengthens your inner man through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And so you start growing. And the more you grow, the more multidimensional you're able to grow. You're able to expand your understanding. You're able to understand your growth. You're not just growing up, but you're growing out, <laughs> which in spiritual life is a good thing. All right. Length and width and height and depth. And it's not just academics either. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. See, the problem is some people become knowledge, 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 and strictly gnosis everything, and then knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, and they have no edification. Because they're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're just growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so they become very knowledgeable, uh, unloving, ungracious um, jerks, all right? Pharisees, if you will. And that's not how we're supposed to grow. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So uh, when do we stop growing? And not as long as we're still here. Okay, Chapter 4 tells us the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says, uh, this is Ephesians 4.14, As a result, we are no longer to be children. No longer to be children. God doesn't want you to be saved and then stay a child for the, the rest of your Christian walk. All right? Children are tossed to and about. Children fly off the handle. Children get tossed everywhere and little things happen and they become, you know, mountains, molehills become mountains. And No, grow up, get some stability, calm down. All right? I'm just preaching to myself this morning. Okay? And there it is. See, Doug came and ministered to me on Thursday, and I'm thankful. All right? I'm preaching to myself. All right. Don't be tossed about. Be stable. No longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love. Really, truthing in love. There's no verb of speaking. There's just uh, the noun aletheia that was turned into a verb. So truthing one another in love. And we can truth one another verbally and non-verbally. You don't have to speak to truth one another in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So if we're not built up to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ, as verse 13, then, uh, then we're not reaching this. See, and we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes long after the pure milk of the word. Again, like. Notice that like word? Are you starting to like the like word? 
I like the like word, okay? Because he's not calling them babies. But he says like babies. If you ever reach the point that you think you're past the basics, oh, I'm too old for that. I don't need the basics again. If you're that prideful, man, humble yourself. Act like a baby, okay? And we're not saying that's the only thing you're going to take, but take a refresher course. Make sure you're solid on the milk and then go back to your steak. But some Christians feel like, well, they should be steak only and never do basics ever again. I tell you, when you get that rusty, you're going to forget it. You're going to lose it. So therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We're expected to nurse and we're expected to grow. All of us. All of us. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge. What do you got to do to grow? Well, you got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You've got to um, be looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. You've got to uh, be on guard. So the slide says, verse 18, I can't skip over verse 13. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right? You've heard that before? We are supposed to be looking for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do you want to hear, you wicked, lazy slave? That was last hour. Okay? Well, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be diligent. I want to be found faithful when the Lord returns. And be on guard. That's verse 17. Knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Any of us can get carried away. Any of us can have a moment or a series of moments. If you have one, you can have another one. You can have, string a few of them together. Next thing you know, you're carried away. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I think the, the sadness is, people that think it's sufficient to get saved and then wait around going to heaven you know, when you die, doing nothing in the meantime, then they're not focused on the glory to Him now and both now and to the day of eternity. You just want to defer his glory to the day of eternity and not glorify him today, not do anything today about your Christian walk. Anyway, we're supposed to grow. 1 John 2, maybe this is the clearest. Everybody's got their favorite passage, their go-to passage they want to go to. How about 1 John 2? 12, 13, and 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. You know, when you're first saved, what do you know? I know my sins are forgiven. <laughs> and I know that's pretty cool. But I also should start learning some other things very quickly. Things dealing with the angelic conflict, things dealing with other, uh, other doctrines. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. So those are different growth levels, right? A little child is not a father. 
<laughs> little child's got to grow up. I am writing to you, young man. That's not a little child, not yet a father. I am writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. All right, so we have levels of Christian growth and we have expectations. We have dietary needs, but we also have expectations for engaging in the angelic conflict work that should be done, that we don't expect the little children to do it, but we do expect the young men to do it. And the fathers, well, they may know what needs to be done, but maybe they don't have the energy. (laughs) All right? So let the young men do it. All right. Anyway, there's, there's a whole sermon in that. But let's understand things. And so identify what these things are, and then you know, do you know where you are? Where, where do I fit? Where's the, do you plot the little red uh, dot on the, like the, the, the diagram at the mall? You know, you are here. Do you, do you plot the little red dot on the, the baby to adolescent to maturity spectrum? In other words, you say, well, I don't want to do that. That's arrogant. It's not arrogant. You got to know who you are. You got to know where you are. You got to know what you're doing and you got to know what God's expecting of you. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right. And so there's nothing wrong if you're mature in knowing that you're mature and saying that you're mature. And at the same time saying, I am mature, but I'm not as mature as I'm going to be. Okay. I am mature, but I'm still maturing. That was Paul's attitude. We're going to deal with that in Philippians chapter three. Okay. And there's nothing wrong if you're an infant saying, look, I'm an infant. I'm a newbie. I don't know what any of this stuff is. Okay. That's great. We can work with that. The Bible, we're, you know, we can cure ignorance, <laughs> okay? If you're hungry, if you want to learn, if you want to eat. Then you hit the adolescence, and man, you can't feed them enough. They eat and eat and eat and eat. You got teenage boys, man. Which is a good thing. They need to burn those calories. They need to burn off that energy. Anyway, this is what we're dealing with. This is what the Christian way of life is all about. And God makes this happen, by the way. God makes this happen. I have these student pastors and they want to know, well, how do you, how do you tailor your message? How do you, do you plan part of your message that, you know, uh, the older people will like this part and the, the younger people will like this part and the adolescent people will like this part? And are you, no, nobody can do that. I can't do that. That's insane. <laughs> okay. Just going to teach the word and the Holy Spirit's going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to turn some of this doctrine into meat and some of this doctrine into milk and some of this doctrine into everything in between and, and, uh, and because it's going to reach people right where they are. Absolutely, it's going to reach people right where they are. And that's, uh, that's a glorious thing. All right. Now, maturity. So I hope we're clear on this. And this is why I love this. And I love having a blended congregation. I love having a unified congregation. Okay, not a segmented uh, congregation. I don't want, you know, my. There are ministries where they they box you and package you and put you in rooms, and you can be with your uh, age group and your marital status group, and this is where the singles are, and the resingles, and the older, the old fogies are here, and the whatever. 
And because, you know, they want to do the hymns with the piano and these other guys want the, the rock and roll and the, the off-the-wall singing and whatever else. What I'm saying, though, <laughs> didn't mean to use fogies. I'm sorry about that. The, uh, what I'm saying, though, I love the fact that we got people here in their 80s and 90s and we got people here in their 20s and teens and younger. And I love the fact that we're all one body in Christ. And we're growing together, we're learning together, we're going to take communion together, we're singing together, we're worshiping together, and we need to, we need to see this. The younger generation needs to see the older generation, and the older generation needs to see the younger generation. Because that, that gives comfort and hope that there's, uh, the Word of God is going to keep going after we're gone. How fun is that? My kids and my grandkids are going to stay in truth after I'm gone. That's a, that's a great encouragement. So, let's talk about maturity. Because verse 14, I think, gets overlooked. Let me get back to Hebrews. I lost Hebrews. There it is. Let's not be so fast to race on to chapter 6. We want to get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 has got a warning and people are scared of chapter 6. But don't overlook... Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Practice. All right? And this is where I think this expression, I think this principle needs to be stressed. Maturity is not perception plus more perception. Maturity is perception plus practice. Perception plus practice. See, Colonel Theme always taught it's the perception and application of the Word of God. It's not just perception and more perception. It's not attending a thousand Bible classes, five thousand Bible classes, filling notebooks. Look at what I know. Are you using any of it? (laughs) You could know a lot and never use any of it. But you can know a little bit and use every last bit that you've got. And let me tell you, when you're using what you've got, that's when you're really going to grow. And then you're going to learn more. See, if you're never using any of it, I would suspect that you don't know as much as you think you know. Okay? You think you know more than you really do. And you're still in a gnosis category. You've never processed it to the epinosis or to the oida or to Sophia because you're not using it. It takes practice. Maturity is not perception plus more perception. Maturity is perception plus practice. It says, who because of practice have their senses trained? And so it takes training. It takes practice. It takes execution of the Word of God. It takes engaging in the angelic conflict. It means you're out there on the battle and you're taking your bumps and your bruises and you're taking the hits and you're also dishing some out. You're, in, you're engaged in the angelic conflict. And your sense is trained to discern. And it's interesting, the things that you won't see in Bible class, but you do see when you're under testing. See, when you're in Bible class, it's very dry, it's very academic, it's very sterile, it's very uh, theoretical. Difference between theory and practice. <laughs> oh, that's what that means. <laughs> okay, like, uh, yeah, God says I will never leave you nor forsake you. I get that. But then how about when you're 
out there in the conflict and everybody in the world has abandoned you, but God hasn't. And you have the awareness of his fellowship and his comfort and his presence and his faithfulness. And you think, wow, now I know. (laughs) I see it now. I'm living it now. And this is an awareness. This is a trained discernment. And then to discern good and evil. What was that tree that Adam and Eve ate from? All right. You know, what is it that we're expected to do doctrinally? And can we get this discernment in Bible class? Well, we get the, uh, the, the basics, we get the foundation, we get the concept. But to actually train our senses, see, this is where it's objective truth, but it's also subjective experience, where we know it, but we see it. And we're engaged. We're engaged in the angelic conflict and we're, we're choosing the good and rejecting the evil. And so uh, we have these principles here. And uh, this is not the only passage, of course. Uh, James is the obvious one the, uh, where we're not hearers only, but doers of the Word of God. I get Hebrews, James. Take these out of order from how they're on the slide. James chapter 1. Verse 21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And I would tell you, the word implanted is not just a surface reception of the word of God. This is not just a casual listening, eh, you know, and you listen and you're kind of, it's going in one ear and out the other. You're kind of half listening while you're half daydreaming and wondering, you know, what you're going to do uh, about lunch, uh, you know, wondering how much longer the pastor is going to ramble, how full is it getting over there at Luby's, whatever else, okay? No, you are listening to receive the word implanted. That's going deep. How deep does the Word of God need to go implanted? Well, the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, it goes pretty deep. And with humility, receive it. That means I need it. That means I'm humble before the teaching. And then it says, but prove yourselves doers of the Word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. If you're just intake, 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 and you never exhale, right? If you're just learn, 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 and you're not living it, perception without practice, the Bible says you're delusional. I'm not saying that. I'm not calling you names. The Bible says not merely hearers who delude themselves. So you can be delusional if you want, but Scripture tells you not to. You've got to be a doer of the Word of God. It's not perception plus more perception. It's perception plus practice. Be a doer of the Word of God. Philippians. In our Philippians study, we had this not long ago in Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. Putting it into practice. God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in epinosis. 
not just gnosis, not just intake, full knowledge and all discernment. How do you how do you get the discernment? You're putting it into practice. Your gnosis is becoming epignosis. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. Yeah, what, what good is it if you know good and evil, but you're not approving the excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sitting in Bible class does not bear fruit. It equips you to bear fruit. Sitting in Bible class equips you for the work of service. It's not the work of service. We're supposed to be abiding in Christ. If you don't abide in Christ, you don't bear fruit. But don't confuse the intake with the exhale. Don't confuse the perception with the application. Attending church is not fruit bearing. Even listening to doctrine, it equips you for the fruit bearing. You want to be clear on that. Ezra. Ezra. Ezra, Ezra. We've got to take some extra time to even find Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Psalms. All right. Ezra, chapter 7. It's a fun uh, chapter. Ezra, chapter 7. And it's curious. I mean, think about it this way, because Ezra is uh, one of the leaders that brings the Jews back from Babylon. They had spent 70 years in captivity. And then they're going to have three waves of returning under Zerubbabel, under Ezra, and under Nehemiah. Three different waves of returning. And so think about it. Um, it if you, know, you think of the imagery on this or the typology of this. But think about a covenant people who spends a time away from where they're supposed to be. And then, by God's grace, they get to go back to where they should have been all along. Okay? So think about you and me. If, uh, if I have a time in reversionism or a time of prolonged carnality or I've drifted from the Word of God, if I'm not as hungry as I used to be, what becomes important then when I get back on a crash program, I get back on a, on a, on a binge, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to feast as much as I can. Anyway, the captivity is interesting to me in its typology, and the return from captivity is, uh, is important. That's why I like what Lewis was doing some studies on some post-captivity studies from Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi. Uh, but in, in Ezra chapter 7, the key verse is, uh, is verse 10, but I think, I don't want to read all 10 of these verses, but they're coming back. And uh, Artaxerxes gives the, uh, the uh, let's see. All right, after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of, why is this important? Son of Eli, Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Okay? His whole priestly lineage is spelled out there from Aaron to Eliezer all the way down to him. He comes from a long line of priests, comes from a long line of high priests, including Zadok. What a hero. And yet, who is, uh, who is Ezra? Uh, he never got to be a priest, did he? I mean, he was born in Babylon. He was born after the temple was destroyed. Not much of a priesthood for a guy with no temple. Okay, But 
He learns the law. He becomes a scribe. He becomes the greatest of the scribes since Moses. Okay? And uh, probably, I think, responsible for the Old Testament canon when they, uh, when they returned. But anyway, uh, Ezra is a great hero. And uh, in verse 6, we're told, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all that he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of the king Artaxerxes. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. That was considered a great journey. <laughs> Made great time, great travel time. You don't just hop on Southwest Airlines and fly from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, what does it say in verse 10? Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Right? Did I read the whole verse? Did I stop somewhere? He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. I recommend this become a feature of our prayer life when we begin Bible class. More than just confessing your sins, that's a given. More than just rebound. Yeah, you want to be in fellowship, but bigger than that. Say, Father, I am studying to practice. Not just studying to know. Why'd you come to church? To know something? To learn something? Yeah, I want to go to, I want to learn something today. Why? So that I can know something? You got a Bible trivia pursuit game coming up or something? You want to, you want to know more so you can win the game? Or do you want to learn more so that you can practice it? Are you dedicated to study and to practice the Word of God? We present ourselves as workmen, do we not? Workmen. We don't present ourselves as scholars or present ourselves as know-it-alls or present ourselves as knowers. We present ourselves as workmen needing, needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, there won't be a quiz. Jesus Christ will not evaluate us based on what we know. He's not going to lay out, hey, here's all the gold, silver, and precious stones you know about. Is going to evaluate our production. What have we practiced? What have we done? What is our divine good production? Okay. Which is based upon what we know. I hope I'm not rambling. I hope I make sense. You can't produce if you don't know. So you've got to learn. But then when you learn, don't stop with just learning. You've got to live it out. You've got to practice. You've got to produce. And as the more you do, the more your senses are trained to discern good and evil the more you have the adult perspective to see things that the young man won't see, to see things that the, the child won't see. You've got to see things that the mature man sees. And that takes practice. That takes discernment. All right, and so that's what we're looking at there. That finishes chapter 5. We will uh, move on to chapter 6 next week, and I'm glad... Um, and we've taken it as um, piece by piece that we have because probably the biggest 
scare factor is this one in chapter 6. There's five warning passages. There's uh, places in, in Hebrews where people are terrified they can lose their salvation. Uh, we've already passed one of them anyway, but chapter 6 is the, is the tougher one. And in chapter 6 we'll deal with it. And I think we're ready to deal with it uh, on the basis of how we've tied together here chapter 5. Alright, so stay tuned. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for truth. I thank you for the book of Hebrews. And Father, uh, the power that Hebrews has. And I pray that it motivates each one of us to leave aside the elementary things in advance, to move on the things that accompany salvation and to grow, to grow to the mature man, to become teachers. And Father, I thank you that we have uh, such a great high priest over the house of God. I thank you that we can function in our priesthood uh, on the basis of the indestructible life that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray that all of these teachings will come together in hebrews combine it with what we're getting in philippians combine it even with uh, the proverbs material father i think there's a tremendous synthesis in what you're feeding this flock right here right now father and he that has an ear is commanded to hear what the holy spirit communicates to the local churches so father uh, this is the local church i'm accountable for and uh, and i want to hear what the spirit is communicating so i can live it out to the glory of your son in whose name we pray amen all right, we